Hi guys, Rob here, podcast editor for EveryMind. In this week's episode, Akita Samani, diversity, equity and inclusion champion at US Bank and a member of the Women in Payments ASEAN Advisory Board, joins Paul in an open conversation about mental well-being in the workplace and how implementing it into our culture can lead to better business results. With over 21 years of international experience in retail financial services and payments, Akita relentlessly drives constructive actions on building diversity, equity and inclusion in the industry. They discuss how to positively impact the workplace culture and the progressive steps in which to successfully do that. Akita shares the importance of leadership, taking the first steps in educating themselves on how to embed a culture of inclusion and physiological safety in their organisation. Sharing small tips and key examples of their steps her company has taken to improve employee wellbeing and their workplace culture. If you think EveryMind at Work could help your business, then head over to everymindatwork.com. And if you found this episode valuable, don't forget to share with a friend and leave us a five-star review. And as ever, enjoy the show. So Akita, welcome to the EveryMind podcast. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you for having me here today, Paul. No worries. No worries. It's a pleasure. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation. We, we caught up, was it this year or end of last year? I think it was end of last year, right? It was indeed. Yeah, and, and I, I think we just had a quick little catch up and we ended up speaking for a long time on the subject which we're going to dive into today. So I'm um, really looking forward to extending that conversation. But let's kick off with a really boring, but I guess important question. Can you just give everyone a little bit of a background in terms of what you do currently? And I guess what led you to get to where you are today? Absolutely. Uh, happy to share a little bit about myself here, Paul. So Currently, I work as the chief of staff and head of change for Elevon Merchant Services, which is a part of US Bank. And we serve merchants of all sizes, small, medium corporates um, in the industry, providing them seamless payment services. But in my role in particular, I lead strategic initiatives for the business and focus a lot on employee engagement and building the right culture. I also champion diversity, equity, and inclusion for our payments business globally. And that really is my passion within the scope of this work. Mm, there's a lot of plates spinning there by the sounds of it as well, trying to juggle all of that. How, how do you juggle all of that? So I think it's part driven by uh, enthusiasm for driving impact in the industry. I've been very fortunate to have been in the financial services industry for over two decades with some great brand names in the industry. And I think this really is that stage in my career and the evolution of the industry per se, where I have an opportunity to do my part in ensuring that everybody has access to that opportunity and they feel like they're supported not just from a career development perspective, but also from a well-being and growth perspective for themselves personally. So part of it is driven by that passion, but it's also a function of how supported I feel within my company and the environment that I work in, friends, colleagues, bosses, mentors. I think all play a really important part in helping me achieve what I'd like to do at work and in terms of my own growth, as well as creating that conducive environment for me to achieve that balance. Mm. Is this something that you always wanted to do or is, you know, and you spoke about passion there, you know, what, what, what led to the passion? So I would not say that I'm one of those persons who had my three, five, 10 year plan quite, uh, you know, mapped out. I have sort of gone with the flow and just experienced what really excites me. What do I feel good about doing? One thing is amply clear for me. 
interacting with people. So whether it's at work or outside work, having those social interactions and having a positive impact on the people that I come across is hugely important to me. And I think that has materialized into this passion saying, how can I achieve that in a meaningful way, even with people I may not know directly. And that is how this has become a passion now. Mm, I love that positively impacting one person at a time. It's, it's, a, it's something that we, we talk a lot about in our organization. And I, I talk a lot about as well. I talk about that, just that one person, because I think when you can positively impact one person, you forget about the ripple effect around that one person. You know, the fact that they could be a parent, the fact that they could reach out to a colleague two years later because of that one conversation that you've had. And I think that's a really, really powerful way of looking at it because I'm sure with the amazing, incredible work that you do, sometimes it seems like it's a mammoth task in front of you, right? So I guess stripping it back to just that one person and positively impacting every people, every person that you meet is a good way of, of looking at it. Is that how you see it? Absolutely, right? So like you said, right, uh, it could become a really mammoth task, total chaos. There are so many things that can be done in the space of diversity, equity, inclusion, and employee well-being and personal well-being. It's important to just focus on how can I make a smaller difference, which is why that one person and the positive impact is really important. I think it's also a function of you can roll out a number of structural programs and initiatives, but none of that holds any meaning until you've kind of fixed your everyday environment and what you experience around you. And I think that is why that, you know, one day at a time, one person, every interaction should have some meaning in it. I think it's hugely important. Mm, I love that. Is that is that something that has been reflected in the work that you do? Because again, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this might have, let's say, 500 employees in their business, and they want to help all 500 individuals. And they might get frustrated when maybe only 10 or 15 of them turn up to an event that you've put on, you know, surrounding well-being or mental health. But by what you're saying there, you know, that's a great start. Get 10, 15 people into, into an event and then whatever it is, get them to buy into it, get them excited. And that 10 to 15 people can then turn into 20 and 30 and 40. And then you start to kind of move the conversation on. Is You're talking probably about culture there. Is that something that you've seen within your organization? And, and that's what you focus on as well. I think that's a brilliant point that you just made there, Paul. We've got about 70,000 employees globally across 13 countries. In Europe alone, we have close to 3,000 employees. Wow. And, you know, if we try to tackle um, our biases as well as our differences on day one, I think it would be a really challenging thing to achieve. And we would be setting ourselves up for failure rather than success. So to your point, right, focusing on starting with our leaders as well as engaged employees to take the first step in equipping themselves with recognizing how they can help their teams, their colleagues in embedding this culture of inclusion and psychological safety and this focus on individual well-being is hugely important. And once you get that buy-in and that engagement, like you said, you spoke about ripple effect really well, I think it, it starts to then get embedded in your DNA, in your day-to-day -day operations, and eventually your culture. One such example of what we're trying to do is we have just finished actually brand new last week, 
certifying tens and hundreds of colleagues across Europe as mental health first aiders. This was completely voluntary. So employees signing up to be mental health first aiders, irrespective of what level they sit at in the organization and or what their job role is, but just stepping up to recognize that this is an area that needs huge attention and getting themselves certified and equipped with those tools and practices where they can help not just themselves, but also their colleagues and their teams and support the leaders in recognizing early signs of mental breakdown or challenges where employees may not feel comfortable voicing that themselves and helping those employees track travel through that process, right, of recovery, of feeling supported and having the resources that they need. This is just one example of how you engage a select set of employees. They are buying into it and how they are going to create a positive impact through the organization. Mm, I love that the fact that they were voluntary as, voluntary as well, because then they're normally individuals that that want to do this. They're, they're, they're passionate, you know, and they're going to be the ones that are going to be the most engaging. And even though they're mental health first aiders, they might champion it in the business as well. Right. And, and I think that's, that's hugely, hugely important. One of the, the words that I picked up on that you said, and it's been something I've heard a lot recently, which is psychological safety. Um, what what is what firstly you know what does that mean to you and i think secondly you know what's the importance of psychological safety so in my mind it means two things to me one is that i feel and believe that what i will state or speak is valued and respected mm. and the second part of it is i feel safe enough to actually articulate that in any audience. I love that. That really resonated. <laughs> the reason why is because as an organization, we're so focused on, you know, our mission is to help employees feel safe to talk about mental health. And as you've said there, you know, I was an individual that when I was struggling, didn't feel like I could talk to people at work. Didn't even feel like I could talk to people outside of work, right? And, and as I shared with you when we first spoke about my dad, you know, my dad is that engineer you know, I question if he had that psychological safety, that feeling of if I tell someone in my workplace that I'm struggling, I'm not going to feel judged. It's not going to go against my performance. Again, who, who knows how life could have been different for us, right? So I really, really like that definition. And I think with that being said, you know, where do you start? And, and what have you done within your organization that's helped to create that psychological safety? So I would say a few things, and I think it's a combination of having structured programs to help people become aware of not just their biases, but simple actions that they can incorporate and or change in team and or employee interaction situations on a day-to-day -day basis. So we launched a very interesting program called Journey to Inclusion last year which was an interactive program where you do a bit of a pre-assessment, which personalizes that program to your needs in particular. And it's a cool combination of TED Talks, videos, best practices, simple actions you can take in day-to-day -day interactions, which make it easier for everyone to voice themselves 
and feel like they belong in that conversation and that they can be themselves, their authentic selves you know, in that environment. So the intention was for every employee to have access to that so that we're all thinking about the same kind of things, the same barriers and having active conversations about that in the first instance. Then that was step one. We also had um, our global uh, ethics um, officer doing a number of interactive sessions across different teams with anonymous surveys to indicate how safe we feel in each of those team environments and guiding us through some simple tools and techniques to address that within specific team situations. So I think that was another very practical way of, you know, quick wins. Here are some of the things that you can do, which would help alleviate some of those concerns and encourage people to voice their opinions. And then I think there are some day-to-day -day things, right, in terms of often in today's day and age where we're all absolutely jammed with meetings and a whole load of tasks, work-life balance has been a challenge. It's very easy to get into meetings and just rush into what we want to achieve out of that meeting without any regard and without any malintention, really, to exclude certain perspectives because of personalities, cultures, diverse backgrounds. I think what's important is to actually invite those perspectives into the conversation so people feel encouraged to speak up and be heard. It takes a lot of courage to voice yourselves in a number of interactions, especially at work when, like you said, right, you always have that fear of being judged and what it might do to your career, how you would be perceived by your colleagues and your superiors. So it's important to have those simple things about inviting people to share their perspective and actively including them in the conversation as opposed to leaving it to self-initiative and just trying to get to that task-focused outcome that we are driving towards. So I think that's the element of leadership and driving some structured effort in that perspective. I think the other piece that we've touched upon already is in terms of getting those enthusiastic, engaged employees in who connect with other employees and actually have a pulse of the organization. I think one of the brilliant things about this is, so we've done about four employee pulse surveys last year. And one of the things that stands out to doing a combination of these two things is we saw our well-being scores improve significantly over the course of a year because we implemented some very easy, practical initiatives. One was called breathing time right in the middle of the year, which was simple things like keep Friday free from large group task-focused meetings and use it for work that requires more reflection, one-to-one -one connections, and things you want to complete like self-development or training. Nice. Um, try to convert meetings to 25 or 45 or 50 minute meetings so people have breaks between meetings. Don't book the last 30 minute slot on somebody's calendar that's available on a day for a meeting that you want to have. And use time to actually connect with people rather than just focusing on task-based outcomes. So going back to the Pulse Survey outcomes, this actually reflected in how employees felt their work-life balance and overall balance just a lot better. And the other thing that stood out from that survey was people saying resoundingly high percentage of people saying that I 
feel like I can be myself at work. Mm. I think for me, that is kind of a shining star in terms of people feeling like they can bring their whole self to work and feel like they're supported and they have that space of psychological safety. Mm. I love that. And, and what's really powerful about that is you've got the data to prove it, right? Which everyone loves. But more importantly, the way you've achieved that is just by doing small little things that don't cost much or anything at all but they're putting your people at the center right so you know those small little changes about meetings and and friday specifically for these days and you know that doesn't cost anything right but it's about you then as an organization showing your people that you really care because you're being able to offer that um i think it's incredible and we're only a small organization we're, we're nowhere near the size of you we've only got 13 of us but just to give you the other perspective of that you no know, matter whether you're a small organization or a big organization those little small things help you know i'm probably talking out of town here but every friday we do a switch off at 4 30 it's like let's not talk about work or mental health like, let's you're not allowed that's the rule no work no mental health conversations um and even you know just just giving employees that flexibility to to if they want to go golf and come back at 10 you know because that's what they want to do on a friday like I'm, I'm kind of happy for that right it's instead of treating people as you say like robots it's putting them at that center and trying to create a little bit of I guess, a human-centered approach to a lot of this stuff as well. And since you just mentioned human-centered approach, right, I'm going to pick up on that and say one thing. This kind of change, right, whether it comes in small increments or some larger initiatives, is not on account of the work of one particular leader and or team. It's a joint effort. So, for example, in, in our situation in our company, the effort is led right by our teams who are focused on learning and development and well-being within the broader human resources function. And they are doing a great job of partnering with the leadership, with employees who are engaged, with our business resource groups or employee resource groups to actually make this come to life. Mm. Right. And and I think that is very important to know. We cannot hand this all off to human resources and say, hey, go away and solve this. Right. Mm. Or what kind of employee benefits can we look at? And we need to have all these tangible things at all times. It's very important that they lead the way they set the vision and give us those best practices, a little bit of a view of what's happening in the industry and connecting with other professionals in the human resources world around. But then that partnership with sort of different groups within the organization is very, very important in actually making this a success. Yeah, I love that. That's such a valuable point because I talk a lot about how, how mental health in particular, but you know, not just mental health gets placed on the shoulders of HR and specifically in organizations that don't, I guess, value the importance of mental health and well-being, it will be a HR, hey, can you focus on mental health and well-being of your employees as well as doing everything else that you're already doing? And then HR struggle to get initiatives off the ground because they don't have that buy-in, they don't have that support. Whereas I think, as you've just said there, HR being able to partner with other parts of the business, other areas of the business and getting them to drive it as well, will just get that message across a lot quicker. So I think that's, 
hugely, hugely important. Really, really good advice. There's a lot that I've taken already. Um, I want to ask you a question around mental health and inclusion at work. And in terms of the, I would guess, say the main intersection between them, them both. So I know obviously you focus on both. What is the main intersection between them both and, and how can this affect employee well-being as well? I think one of the key points of intersection of mental health and inclusion is about creating an environment of psychological safety where people feel not only safe to speak and express any challenges that they have in relation to their personal circumstances, but they feel supported. So I think this is an extension of, you know, how you think about psychological safety is that level of support that you get, as well as the ability to think that I will not be judged for whatever my individual circumstances are. I think that is the main intersection of mental health and inclusion, because I'm very much a part of this team, this environment, and everybody values me. But at the same time, no one is judging me for my individual circumstances. On the other hand, they're actually being allies and supporting me through this incredibly challenging time, right? Whether it's through company programs like the employee assistance program, which you know, allows anonymous access to great resources, counselors and the like, and or the, these mental health first aiders and just very simple manager coaching to help employees through that phase. I think that is a combination of mental health and inclusion at its best, really. Mm, I love that. So looking at sort of um, another two questions, and the, the last question is a personal question that we tend to ask a lot of people, and I haven't prepped you with it, so I'll throw that to you um, in just a moment. But before we kind of move on, what's your plans and share as much as you're allowed to share sort of moving forward, you know, 2022, what's your plans when it comes to diversity, inclusion, but also mental health within your organization? What are you focusing on this year in particular? So I think one of the key things we are focusing on is continuing to build a diverse workforce because what happens from both the mental health and inclusion perspective is when I see people in the organization that I identify with or feel like they have something similar with my own situation, I am able to actually express myself a lot better and or walk up to and or get inspired by those people. Mm. It's very difficult to see someone who comes from a completely different backdrop and situation to actually be able to identify with them and feel safe to speak up and not feel like you would be judged. So I think building a diverse workforce at all levels, not just in elite leadership, helps everybody in general feel um, much more included as well as does wonders from a well-being perspective. The other components that we're working on is in terms of, I already spoke about the mental health first aiders program. We will continue to drive that through the course of this year, continue to strengthen the benefits that we offer employees to manage their well-being. So it's not just focused on purely emotional well-being which is well addressed through our assistance programs but also things like financial well-being 
and giving them the advice and the assistance they need because that indirectly and in a lot of ways contributes to deterioration of mental and emotional well-being really especially in the current environment right where there's a lot of uncertainty so we're, we're doing uh, some things on that front as well in terms of guiding employees through that and then finally it's just looking at our overall employee proposition and seeing what are the things that we could tweak which are more suited to this whole hybrid work model that we all are in where we are remote at times in person at times and so everybody still feels a sense of connection not just to the workplace but to each other mm, i love that and i like how there was no fruit bowls or <laughs> or we're launching this tool it's it's all again really really a really good approach to it and i think lots of people listening to this is going to be able to take a lot of a lot of advice away from this so i've got one more question akita which is a more personal one which is to share one piece of advice that you've been given in the past that's resonated the most with you. So I think for me, it goes back to that piece around positive impact. And this was given both by one of my recent managers as well as one of my sponsors. And I think it stems from that concept of servant leadership. So it's not about, I want to do this and therefore, I'm going to take people along in the journey, but it's about how I can help other people in their journey and therefore create a positive impact with what I'm doing. I'll certainly get my task accomplished, no doubt about that. But if I can actually help other people along in their journey and create that positive impact in interactions. And I think that has really resonated with me and I've kind of um, you know, made that a part of my daily checklist for myself to say, when I'm having these conversations with people, what am I leaving behind? And what is that legacy that it leaves for me as a person, as a professional? And uh, is that what I want to leave behind? Mm, I love that. I can resonate with that as well, because when you're passionate about a subject and you do the work that that you or I do where you are trying to help other people it for me the the fire that keeps me going every single day is 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 my children it's my grandkids it's the legacy that you leave right and because it's such a mammoth task as we spoke about earlier on when you're looking at this as a subject it's very easy for probably you and I to give up because we don't get those results quick enough. But I think remembering that it's about legacy and the people that you can help, I think is a really important part of this. And I'm sure anyone sitting here or listening to this that is in a position where they do want to help more people, whether it's in the workplace or outside of the workplace, I think that's incredible advice. Um, is there anything else you want to share, Akita, before we finish up? And just if anyone wants to connect with you or you want LinkedIn, just let everyone know where they can find out more about you. Absolutely. I think, um, Paul, I'm really inspired by the work that you're doing stemming from your own personal experience. I think it's really phenomenal to translate what could have been a really tragic personal experience into something which is helping thousands of people out there rebuild their own confidence and HR professionals to take, you know, simple advice and tips to actually make a difference in the workplace. Um, the last two years has only exacerbated it, but mental health has always been a concern, right? So to kind of surface this and find real solutions for that is just incredible. 
I think for me, uh, it's kind of fulfilling. And, you know, we just spoke about positive impact. I haven't got it 100% correct. But I think making an incremental effort each day and getting there, and even one small message from a person in a week saying, you know, you really helped me with this and or you made me smile today is hugely fulfilling. Mm. Uh, I cannot describe how much of a virtuous cycle that is because that just pushes you to do more. Um, and like I said, none of us is perfect, but I think a little step each day is going to make a huge difference in you know everything that you are trying to do for people out here. Mm, amazing. Okay, so thank and you people so can find me on LinkedIn um, as Akita Somani. Please feel free to reach out. Very happy to have conversations and chat a little bit more about this topic. Amazing. And we'll make sure we link up to your LinkedIn in the show notes of the podcast as well. Akita, thank you so much for sharing the amazing insight today and, and also being so personal. Really, really appreciate it and looking forward to connecting more in the future as well. Thanks, Paul. It's been a pleasure to be here and have this conversation with you today. To there. To there. To there.